Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll put it all together for you. So let's get started. Today, we are looking at Jeremiah chapter 29 and chapter 30. These are times when the nation was just getting ready to uh, fall. Um, the, the, the city was just getting ready to fall. Nebuchadnezzar is ready uh, to break down the city, and many people have already been taken away to Babylon. Can you imagine what that would have been like to have... Um, um, Tori have been taken captive from your country where you live as a prisoner and be taken off to a whole other country. And, you know, probably the conditions were really, really harsh there, um, probably treated terribly. Many people might have already died that you know. Maybe people in your family have already died that you know. And now you are, you're there, you've been ripped up, and uh, maybe deep down inside you had a belief in your nation that God used to be with this nation, and maybe you were thinking you had believed in the false prophets that things wouldn't happen, or you would believe that, you know, nothing could could break down our city. Nothing could break down our nation. You know, you were probably told that from, from all you know, very little. You probably took your nation for granted. You probably took the military for granted. You probably took your own safety for granted. You you know, sometimes we we get that way. Even today, even in our country, we get that way. It's so easy to take what we see in society for granted that. Things are going to be the way they are. If if times look okay or look good, maybe there's things you'd change in society, but overall you're, you're content um, or you're content living where you're living. There's safety in that. There's safety in having things established. Um, there's reassurance in that. All those things... Uh, God's showing them that those are temporary things. And all those things that you felt like no, it didn't really matter, maybe the sin that was in their life didn't really matter, or maybe, you know, 
the ways they acted, um, where their hearts were after. Maybe their hearts weren't really centered on God. Their hearts were centered on all these other things that they wanted. Um, centered on ill-gotten gain or centered on uh, immor- immoral living or things like that. Um, you know, in today's society, to today's society, we sort of view it as really complicated. And wouldn't it be great to get back to a simpler way of life? And then, you know, we wouldn't have so much sin in the world. Well, look, I mean, back in this day, life was very simple. But look how much sin was in the world then, too. So the complexity of our life uh, doesn't really um, create the sin. It's what's inside men's hearts and women's hearts that creates the sin. There's just as much sin going on here because people didn't trust God. And it all starts in the heart. The sin starts in the heart. It doesn't start on the internet. It doesn't start in the bars. It it doesn't start, um, you know, out on the streets. It starts in men's hearts. And uh, so you have corrupt religious rulers not giving people the word, leading people astray. False prophets leading people astray. So now Jeremiah is here. He's still back in Jerusalem, and he is, I believe he's in Jerusalem, but he is writing uh, letters now, this letter, to people who are actually exiled. He's writing a letter to them so that that would give them hope. Have you ever been away from home and felt homesick? I mean, I have. Have you ever gotten that letter from somebody like your mom or your dad, or or you gotten a letter from a family friend, or, or I mean your family, or you got a letter maybe from a friend that you knew from back home, or somebody that you really loved or cared about, and you got that letter, and you saw that letter, you saw their familiar handwriting. I mean, it just felt so good even before you opened the letter, and then you saw the familiar handwriting, and you could just hear their words as you read the letter. Didn't that just give you strength for the day, peace for the day, extra just positive feelings for the day? It gave you hope for the day, didn't it? I mean, it did for me one time, many times, many times I can say. But I just really relate to that getting a letter, getting a letter from somebody you love. That means so much, so much to people. Sometimes the Internet, I think, takes away... Uh, from that personalization of a of a handwritten letter, you know, there's something about it because you have a piece of the person, you know, a handwritten piece of the person. So that must have felt really good. So this is what Jeremiah's doing. He's trying to give these people hope. He's trying to, you know, God's directing him to still take care of these people who've been exiled. Now, the reason, again, they're exiled is their hearts weren't right with God. But God, this this is showing God's love. God's love still is in control. God's sovereignty is still in control. Even though Nebuchadnezzar's coming in, invading the nation, and, you know, supposedly running havoc over things, 
God is showing people he's still in control, and Nebuchadnezzar is basically doing what God wants Nebuchadnezzar to do. These, this generation, these people, this nation must be punished. There's, they've, they've, they've rejected God completely and thoroughly and rejected every offer, every call to repent, and this is what happens. So let's take up, uh, we'll hit some high points through verse 29. Verse 1, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And this was after King Jeconiah. Now, Jeconiah is another name for Jehoiachin, and so was Kona. So Jehoiachin was one of the lousiest kings. He was the last lousy king, and he was the king that would have no more offspring that, that Jeremiah prophesied against. The line you know, of David would end here. Of course, there would be another son of David, a peasant, eventually, named Nathan, whose line would lead to Mary. And that's where Jesus gets uh, the bloodline of the house of David. But then he'll have the holy authority from the house of God, the Father in heaven. He has this double lineage. But this lousy king, Jehoiachin, and they don't even call him Jehoiachin anymore. They call him now Jeconiah. <clears throat> probably the ultimate put-down on this guy. Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, the metal workers, had de already departed from Jerusalem. Okay, So the letter was sent by the hand of Elisiah, the son of Shaphan and Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah. And uh, Hilkiah, again, was... Uh, Jeremiah's father, so that would have been his brother, Jeremiah's brother, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And it said, verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare. You will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. So he's telling them to go and multiply there and live because you're going to be there 70 years. So he's saying it's okay to be there. But don't listen to the false prophets. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you 
and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for <clears throat> welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is great. This is a great verse here, um, famous verse here. And God's saying, he's asserting his sovereignty, is asserting that his will is going to be done. And he's asserting that... Um, after this 70-year time, he's already planned it out. He's already planned out what's going to happen, and he's going to come and visit them and, and give them strength. And he's going to give them hope. He's going to give them a future. And the presence of the Lord will give them strength. It's the presence of the Lord Right now, they don't have the presence of the Lord, but they have the encouragement from Jeremiah. And they'll, the people will once again call on the Lord and pray, and He will hear them. But they'll seek Him with all their heart. And if we seek God today with all our hearts, we will find Him. We will have his presence. This is, this, this is a promise to us as well. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, verse 14, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So in other words, he's telling them he's going he's to eventually help them and the ones who pray, the ones who seek Him with all their hearts, they will find Him. They will find His presence. And they will find that strength. And He will somehow, He's telling them, I'm going to somehow bring you back. Now, maybe they're thinking, oh, God's going to come. The, maybe the Messiah is going to come and, and conquer Babylon. You know, maybe that's what it's going to be. Of course, it's going to work out where... Persia is going to conquer Babylon, and then God's going to use the king of Persia, which is King Cyrus, and King Cyrus is going to sort of understand the prophecy about himself from Isaiah. He's going to be fascinated by the fact that he has been prophesied about and that he's going to want to fulfill this prophecy that he's going to return the people back to, to um, Israel. But that's how God's going to do it. And he uses the word because a couple of times here in verse 15. Because you said the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon, thus says the Lord. You know, he's saying you're going to get punished for this. And because they didn't, verse 19, because they did not pay attention to my words. You know, he's again, he's sort of laying down why this punishment has to occur. And down in verse 23, because they have done an outrageous thing in Israel, they have committed adultery with their neighbors' wives, and they have spoken in my name lying words that I did not command them. I am the one who knows. 
And I am the witness, declares the Lord. The Lord says, look, I know what's going on. I know what's in men's hearts. You don't have to. I don't need anybody to tell me what's going on. I already know. And I'm the witness. People have utterly turned away from him, rejected him thoroughly. And that's the reason all this is occurring. Okay, so, and then there's, uh, the to complete verse 29, there's another false prophet, uh, Shemaniah, false prophet. He is actually going to be punished as well. So again, God hates these lying false prophets. Now, chapter 30 will hit the high points here. Nebuchadnezzar is now outside the city walls. He's about to break the city. Jeremiah, as uh, McGee points out, uh, is has been put in jail. Okay, so time has passed, and now we fast forward a little bit more, and now the city's ready to break. Verse uh, chapter thirty, verse one: The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel: Write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people. Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers and they shall take possession of it. Verse four, these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a cry of panic, of terror and no peace. And now ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? Alas, that day is so great there is none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. Now, now a couple of different interpretations on this McGee was talking about. He's saying, okay, Times you think are going to be tough. Well, they're they're going to be really bad um, when you have to go through um, being exiled. And this is sort of directed to the people who are still in Jerusalem. They're sitting inside trusting in their city walls to hold against King Nebuchadnezzar. But Jeremiah is saying, you think times are bad right now. Just wait. Until he knocks, until he conquers this city and takes all of you people remaining into exile. You know, everybody's pale face. Everybody looks like they're in labor because they're groaning. They're walking around holding their stomach because they know something's getting ready to happen. You can sense it. You can sense that the 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 political leaders are weak. You can sense that the religious leaders aren't giving anybody any strength. They're weak. There's no value in things right now. Maybe the economy's all disrupted. Maybe it's hard to buy things because things are scarce. Food may be scarce. Things are disrupted. Hardship on the land. And he's saying times are even going to get worse. The day is so great, there's going to be nothing like it. For you, it's a time of distress. But he's saying a little hope because 
you're going to be rescued from it. You know, so so have hope. You're going to be rescued from it. But another interpretation might be, as McGee was saying, it's like the day is so great there's nothing like it, like the day of the Lord. This is forward-looking, like the day of the Lord is finally going to restore this kingdom because there's a, there's a, this is a forward-looking verse here um, that the kingdom is destroyed, but this, this uh, promise that we have to restore Jerusalem it will be ultimately, well, it will be restored after these 70 years, but it will be ultimately restored on the day of the Lord. The presence of the Lord back to the people will lead them back and give them Jerusalem back and they will rebuild it. But it will be the presence of the Lord, Lord Jesus, that will restore the ultimate Jerusalem back. Verse 8, And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck, and I will burst your bonds, and foreigners shall no more make a servant of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. So this is David their king. So King David's already dead. So this verse, you know, kind of looks forward to, to restoring the the um, the city of Jerusalem but it but in a way it kind of looks even farther down the road than that and not only is he giving them hope in their future sort of their immediate future but for some of these people they're already going to be dead you know they're not going to live 70 more years you know some of these people are already middle age or elderly or something like that, and they're, they're not going to even live 70 more years. So he's saying, maybe in a way to them, don't worry, I've already got you for those who trust in me, for those who believe in me, because this city is going to be raised up um, as an eternal city. King David will be raised up. So that is um, that sort of a like a little bit of a um, a forward thinking prophecy there. So, um, but again, the you know God is saying uh, through here. Uh, verse 10, Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. For I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. Okay, so this is a ray of hope. We'll drop down to verse 18. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob and have compassion on his dwellings. The city shall be rebuilt on its mound and the palace shall stand where it used to be. Okay, we'll drop down to verse 22. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. Verse 24. 
The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intentions of his mind. In the latter days, you will understand this. Okay, so this is laying out This is laying out hope for this remnant of people who are going to be saved to the nation before King Nebuchadnezzar crushes the city. So we are at a very, very um, uh, intense part, uh, very dramatic part of this history here as God has been preparing them in many ways, for what's getting ready to happen. But he's telling him it's got to happen because the sins that you have committed are incurable because you will not turn back from your evil wickedness. And you have completely and thoroughly rejected. And God says, I don't need a witness to this. I'm the one who knows. I'm the witness, declares the Lord. This was back in 29 verse twenty. Uh, three. God knows and He knows everybody's hearts and this has to happen. So um, I hope this gives you hope to know that no matter how bad uh, things may get, God knows. God knows the hearts and it's the presence of God in our lives that ultimately saves us. It's not armies. It's not city walls. It's not city gates. It's not friends. Uh, it's not powerful people. It's the presence of God in our hearts. And that is the tremendous lesson that we're learning now through Jeremiah. So from me to all of you, God bless you. Uh, I'll see you next time tomorrow as we continue our study in this awesome, awesome book of Jeremiah. Now I'll turn the rest of the podcast over to my co-host in Zambia, Matali. Matali, I hope you're doing great. I'm loving this this study just like you. So I can't wait to hear what you have to say as well. God bless you all. I'll see you tomorrow. Take care. Hello. So today's teaching is coming from Jeremiah, beginning at chapter 29 from verse 1 all the way to chapter 30, verse 24. So here, you know, the main highlight in today's teaching is the hope in Christ. You know, um, we cannot have confidence in our economy today, in our political authority, in the religious authority. But at least, you know, as children of God, we have hope in Christ. You know, that blessed hope because our Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> you know, he died on the cross for us and he defeated death and he rose again and we have that blessed hope that he's coming back again um, in order for us to all receive our salvation and eternal life so because christ is full of grace and is full of mercy no matter how many times we stumble and fall you know we still have that blessed hope like the children of israel they turned from god they rejected God, but God still gave them so many chances and they t told them to turn to him and he was going to bless them and deliver them from, the, from, from um, their captors. So here at chapter 29, you know, it has a glimmer of hope 
um, a glimmer of light as, you know, there has been a great deal of judgment in the previous in the previous chapters that we have been studying and you know there is judgment yet to come but uh, there is that glimmer of hope there is light at the end of the tunnel so Jeremiah had actually enacted this out by making a yoke of uh, wood for himself and for the rulers and that was the princes and the religious rulers and he put it on his own neck and he told the rulers to bow before Nebuchadnezzar that um, there was coming Oh that, uh, oh, that was actually coming to take them captive. And, you know, the false prophets said, no, this wasn't, you know, they, weren't going to, they were not going to carry that yoke because they said that uh, God will deliver them and the city. Um, and, oh, God would actually never, del- would never deliver them and the city into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, nor will, you know, their enemy destroy the temple. So these people you know, were paying tribute to uh, Babylon already. And, you know, one delegation had already been taken captive and um, the temple had not yet been destroyed and the people um, thought they were not going to be destroyed. You know, this is what the false prophets were actually preaching. Like, you know, God can never deliver us into Nebuchadnezzar and he, you know, this is a fortified city. He's going to take care of us. And, um, you know, this is how people actually looked at it. And um, it won't be destroyed because it's God's temple. And, um, you know, they regarded it as, you know, a fetish. And this is what a lot of good, a lot of uh, people actually believe. And they believe in, because I carry the Bible, I mean, nothing bad is going to happen to me today. And because, and God is going to protect me and God is going to bless me. And, um, and people also say, you know, like people look at it like because I belong to, I'm affiliated or I belong to a, a certain church or a certain religion, God is, um, you know, I'm guaranteed of, you know, automatic protection. You know, they look at it, they look at Christianity and, you know, all the the things that um, they carry or the, 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 associ- the organizations they're associated with as a good luck charm, but it doesn't work like that. So Jeremiah made it clear that not only would the yokes of wood be removed and you know they were temporarily moved as Nebuchadnezzar let up because he wanted to let uh you know he he kind of let up and he wanted to let the 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 return you know he wanted to let that delegation actually return and would have um returned the vessels of the you know of the temple but these people uh went on uh you know in rebellion against God and you know uh and, and, and Zedekiah at uh, that moment was plotting to rebel and was trying to get the nations um, to actually join him. And Jeremiah told him not to do that. He says, you know, uh, bow down to Nebuchadnezzar. And Ze- Zedekiah didn't listen. Um, and Jeremiah told him the yokes, will, the yokes of wood will be broken. And um, they would not only be broken, but they would be replaced by yokes of iron and when Nebuchadnezzar next time you know came out it wouldn't be so easy you know he was going to completely destroy the cities and take them all into captivity and um, so here um, despite this uh, dark message and um, and 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 uh, despite you know the judgment that was coming upon them there was that glimmer of hope so um, so here, 
um, you know, word, you know, like, like the word for them who went into captivity under uh, Jehoiachin, um, he tells them not to rebel and um, he tells them to go willingly as God's judgment had come uh, and there was no way of actually deterring it. So Jeremiah was actually telling them, you know, the word of God has actually come to me, go willingly. Um, in order to avoid, you know, mass deaths of, you know, women and children, just go willingly. But they did not listen because judgment had already come at their gates when Nebuchadnezzar and his armies gathered at, you know, the gates to actually destroy the city. So here we see at um, chapter 29, verse 10 reads, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. So here, you know, um, you know, these are encouraging words. So um, he predicts the return um, back to the land. So they would go into captivity for 70 years. So, you know, a time frame has been given, but judgment has actually come. Um, and, um, and, you know, but there is a glimmer of hope, you know, that they were actually going to return to the land that they were given to, you know, by the land that their forefathers were given. And um, they would actually return after that time frame of judgment that God had put up um, came to pass. So I'll skip all the way down to chapter verse 23 of chapter 29, which reads, Because they have done disgraceful things in Israel and committed adultery, with their neighbors' wives and have broken and have spoken lying words in the in my name, which I have not commanded them. Indeed I know, and I'm a witness, says the Lord. So he makes it clear why they're going into captivity. Um what had happened is that, you know, that's middle class, which is the backbone of any nation, which was the backbone of in like in Judah had become corrupt because they were corrupt. Um, there was a corrupt priesthood. You know, they were uh, uh, corrupt prophets um, who were giving false testimony and, you know, speaking lies, saying this is what the Lord is saying. And, you know, this is what we actually have today. You know, liberalism is what is wrecking the church today. So today the church has got no influence. And in any nation, you know, you find the hardest people to actually get to like to get the message of God to, you know, as Dr. J.V. McGee puts it, are uh, the filthy rich and the dirty poor. These are the hardest people to actually get the message, the word of the Lord to. And, um, and you know, they can't, um, you know, they can't be, it's, it's just hard to actually just get to them. And, you know, the nation, the middle class, you know, they are the backbone of any nation. And once this middle class becomes corrupt, and this is what we're actually seeing today, once this middle class becomes corrupt, um, this is the middle class of people that, you know, that also got corrupt in Judah. And this is what contributed greatly to their captivity. And, you know, this is where you tend to see the moral decay because you have a few people at the top, like who are just really filthy rich. And the majority of the people are the middle class people. And then you also have like the dirt poor people. Like you can't reach the message of God to these people because the filthy rich feel they are untouchables. The dirt poor feel, you know, like why is God making us suffer this much if he actually um, loves us? So the middle class are the backbone to bring that balance between the filthy rich and the dirty poor. 
But if that particular, you know, uh, classification of people becomes corrupt in a nation, this is where you see that moral degradation. Um, you, know, you, you know, this is where you see now, um, you know, those three stages that Dr. J.B. McGee has mentioned. If I can remember them, there's like um, religious apostasy, then there's political anarchy. I can't really remember the third thing. But yeah, this is where you tend to see, you know, um, the moral, the, 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 oh yeah, it's actually political, it's actually um, religious anarchy. And then there's the moral degradation and then there's the political anarchy. Um, this is where you see, you know, how a nation starts to plunge downwards. So, um, and this is what God was trying to say. He was trying to tell them that because of their sin, this is what was happening to them. So God is the same God and he hasn't changed at all. He's the same God in the Old Testament. He's the same God in the New Testament. He hasn't changed at all. So he has spoken in history and is still speaking today. So, you know, history just tends to repeat itself. You know, we've had crazy, evil, wicked leaders out there who've been there in history. And, you know, now um, we're in a different dispensation, but it's the same thing. God is the same God, and he is still speaking. So um, if we go to Second Peter um, chapter 1, verse 20, it reads... <clears throat> Um, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. So here, you know, be not fooled um, by people trying to, to put um, prophecy um, in scripture, like, oh, it has its own um, interpretation. So these prophets didn't give us a result of their observation. They spoke what God told them. So there's no secret interpretation. It's what God has actually spoken. And, you know, they were false prophets in the time of um, Jeremiah and Judah. And, you know, they were speaking falsely and making their own interpretation and misleading people. So, you know, when we come to that place where, you know, we actually lay in the dust and, you know, our opinions, our self-will, our viewpoints, um, you know, don't matter. If we just decide to listen to what God has to say, this you know, um, this is when we come to a point of actually understanding. And, you know, the problem is, the problem is we want to give our own viewpoints and we want to give our own, um, opinions. And this is the problem that we, that the prophets actually had, the prophets and the priests, they gave, they wanted to give their own private interpretation of things. And in that day, you know, the, the princes and the people, um, were trying to, to give their own viewpoints and question God. And, um, you know, God is the creator. I mean, you, we just merely exist in his universe. And, um, and this is the problem that we have today. Um, you know, there, people want to give their own viewpoints with very limited knowledge because people want to say, oh, hey, because I am well-read and I'm well-versed in this and this particular, you know, science and things like that. And in the meantime, they have very li limited knowledge. I mean, God is the creator of the universe. So he knows each and every corner um, of the universe. He knows things that we have not discovered, things that we cannot even comprehend. And we want to give our own viewpoint. We want to say, oh, hey, God, I'm smarter because, you know, I know this and that. I want to give my own viewpoint when we have very limited knowledge. You know, best sometimes to just express our ignorance and say and just accept it like, you know, uh, God, I know very little. So now we move on to chapter 30 here. Um, chapter 30 comes, you know, like um, 
chapter 30 here, scripture comes out of the darkest days um, that Israel had. But there is hope. So, um, you know, you know, like I said earlier in the beginning, um, there is hope in Christ. Um, that's for me, my main highlight here, you know, despite all the troubles and tribulations that we go in, there is always that glimmer of hope in Christ. So the prophet here has been arrested and seven years have passed uh, since Jeremiah had his conflict with the prophets and every year reveals the prophecies that Jeremiah was actually giving, um, you know, after his um, conflict with the prophets that he was giving. So here, um, his right, uh, God has, is now instructing him to write his prophecies. At verse 1, chapter 30, it reads, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaks the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write in a book for yourself all the words that I have spoken to you. So now, you know, Jeremiah, he's out of the court. He's now in prison. He's now sitting and God is actually um, instructing him to write down these prophecies. So um, verse 3 goes on to read, For behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land and give them their fathers, and they shall possess it. So here, you know, these are the words of the Lord. You know, despite, um, you know, uh, the many, you know, despite these people rejecting God and turning away from God, you know, the greatest sin that one can commit is to actually reject that pure love. And God has that pure love for us. He has a lot of love for us. And he still has hope in us that we will return to him. And here, um, you know, he is, he has promised the people, like if they just turn to him, you know, willingly, he will return them to the land that he actually promised them. So here, verse 5 goes on to read, Thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, um, of fear, and not of peace. So here, you know, they had, the people had actually heard this from Jeremiah, that there would be no peace. But the false prophets had said, you know, peace is coming, peace is coming. And this is what's happening today, you know, like, um, you know, we hear from, you know, all these different organizations, you know, trying to bring out peace, world peace. You know, we have Peace Corps, we have um, the United Nations, we used to have the League of Nations, um, you know, all these peace um, organizations trying to bring up peace and they're saying oh there's going to be peace there's going to be peace man cannot bring peace man's heart is wicked beyond comprehension and the false prophets had actually said no peace 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 is coming peace is coming and they did not listen to the prophet Jeremiah so verse 6 of chapter 30 reads ask now and see whether man is whether man is ever in labor with child so why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor and all faces turned pale so here now um you know they're going through um a hard time and um the prophet jeremiah he sees a light at the end of the darkness he sees um you know light at the end of the darkness of that particular day so uh verse 7 goes on to say alas for that day is great so that none is like it 
and it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. So here is the glimmer of hope. So God says, you know, the day is coming that you think is bad um, right now, but you haven't seen anything yet. There is the great tribulation. Um, so, you know, the, it, the great tribulation hasn't yet come and uh, you're already seeing this as being bad. So turn to God right now and, you know, have that blessed hope in him and he's going to come and um, remove us from here and from this suffering if we just turn to God. So um, verse 9 goes on to read, But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will rise, raise up for them. So here, you know, they will be returned to the land and David will be uh, raised up and will reign over them. So moving on to uh, verse 18 of chapter 30, it reads, Thus says the Lord, uh, Behold, I will bring back the captivities of Jacob's tents and have mercy on his dwelling places. The cities shall be built upon its own mound and the palaces shall remain according to its own plain. So, you know, the city that was completely destroyed shall be built up, you know, out of that rubble that's actually there. And, you know, when will this actually take place? Um, so we go to chapter, to verse 24. It reads, The fierce anger of the Lord will not return until he has done it, and until he has performed the intents of his heart. In the latter days you will consider it. So here, this is in the future. So at the end of 70 years, they shall return to the land. And... Um, God is, you know, according to God's um, intent and according to God's program. So, you know, here the message is that hope that we ought to look to Christ and, um, you know, that blessed hope. And, um, you know, one thing that stood out to me that Dr. J.B. McGee pointed out is the... Um, you know, the greatest sin that someone can commit is to re to actually reject that pure love, the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you reject the word, you reject God. And once you reject God, you're on your own. God rejects you and you're on your own. And we cannot survive on our own. So let us always look to God and look to that blessed hope. So yeah, this is today's teaching. Thank you all for listening in. Have a pleasant day. God bless and bye-bye. Thank you.